This is Aspiring Altruists, the show where you'll hear the stories of young professionals in the nonprofit sector working to change the world. We'll dive into their backgrounds, hear about the work they do, and ultimately learn how they got to where they are and how you can do the same. With the nonprofit sector comprising one of the largest U.S. workforces by tackling the world's biggest problems across nine major categories, you may just hear something that could change your life, and through it, the lives of countless others. Today's guest is a young woman with a passion for bringing people together and improving human lives, Phoebe Meyer. Phoebe is the Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor at the Center for Christianity and Public Life, an organization whose mission is to contend for the credibility of Christian resources in public life for the good of the public. Phoebe shares with us about her wide variety of early career experience, her role in co-founding an organization aimed at empowering black business owners, how she works at the intersection of public policy, culture, and faith, and more. Let's hear her story. So Phoebe, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the role that you're in and the organization you work for? Yeah. Um, So I am currently the chief of staff and senior advisor at a new nonprofit in Washington, D.C. called the Center for Christianity and Public Life. Um, And our mission at the center is to contend for the credibility of Christian resources in public life for the public good. Um, So as an organization, we believe that the fate of American democracy is tied uh, to the character of Christianity in this country. And we work, our work falls into two streams um, that we believe for our theory of social change must run parallel to each other. Um, One of those streams is Christian civic formation, where we grow and support, convene, and represent the community of Christians who are convinced of the centrality of spiritual formation for civic renewal. And then the other stream is public imagination, where we explain Christianity to the public and advance Christian resources for the good of the public. We actually just wrapped up a first full year programming, which is really exciting. We had, we launched in October of 2022 with three core programs, a Young Professionals Network, a Public Life Fellowship, which is a nine-month intensive fellowship for mid-career civic leaders, um, and then our annual summit called For the Good of the Public, which is two days of conversations held here in Washington, D.C. And as chief of staff, uh, I actually came on last October before launch with the founder, Michael Ware, to really build the organization from the ground up. And so in many, like we are a startup in many ways, this role is incredibly entrepreneurial. I'm getting to do everything from program development to financing budgets to HR operations, hiring, fundraising, and development. We're now a team of three about to hire our fourth full-time staff. Mm-hmm. And so we're just all really in it, building this organization. We're very scrappy entrepreneurial team who really cares about the narrative of Christianity and public life. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a interesting organization to work for, especially here. Yeah, DC area. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a startup culture there. 
Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And, and as you were describing there, you know, you work at the intersection of, of public policy and culture and faith, all those things. So what's it like doing that kind of work and what challenges do you all face? Yeah. So honestly, I didn't even realize that this kind of work actually existed when I was in college and thinking about what I what I wanted to do after undergrad. My second job out of college was at a social impact agency also based here in DC called the Clapham Group. And that was the place where my kind of imagination for how public policy, culture, and faith could come together was really kind of birthed and expanded. These were all different areas that I had personally loved, but I didn't know that I could bring them together. I often say that politics is downstream from culture. So in order to influence politics, you also have to influence the cultural mindset and the narratives. Um, And that ends up trickling down to the way that policy can be shaped and policy influences society and people's everyday lived realities. I think talking about (laughs) religion and politics are two things that we often, I think, seriously and maybe jokingly say are two things that are not supposed to be talked about around the dinner table, right? Like that's often the the Thanksgiving and Christmas rule when you get together as a family. But I find that people really do actually want to talk about these things. And maybe that's because there's something that can, there are things that can be shied away from. And so I think working at this intersection personally has opened up a lot of doors for me to have these conversations with young people who feel dissatisfied with the current political climate, who in many cases feel compelled by the faith of their childhood to care about politics, but I think are having a difficult time reconciling the way they saw their faith lived out as children now that they are an adult. And these are the kinds of like difficult conversations that I love to have and wrestle with. Certainly some of the challenges that I personally face, but we also face as an organization, are kind of at the systems level, our current societal polarization, the political climate right now in the United States, which draws really harsh lines uh, between our two primary parties. Um, We also have a culture that incentivizes uh, extremes. And that's in large part, uh, we see that on social media, through our news, kind of this conflict, entrepreneur, incentivization of things that catch views and likes and stir up increasing antagonism. So those are some of the challenges that we face in this work in terms of hoping to usher in a healthier politics and public life. I also find that one of the unique challenges that I personally face in this work is that when we're talking about faith and politics, my personal life and my professional life are also closely wrapped up because I am a person I'm a person of faith. I am a Christian. 
I also am a person who has political views on different issues and opinions about the state of our politics and different policy issues. And so it's definitely can be can be complicated to navigate the personal and the professional together, but it's work that I'm really grateful that I get to do. And I'm grateful that I get to be in a job that I, I find so much meaning in as well. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something good to be, especially working in the nonprofit sector, bringing in your own personal values. And that's often the thing that guides people into this kind of work is realizing they aren't just working to make a paycheck. They're working to change the world, improve the world in some meaningful manner that uh, ties to them personally. Uh, yeah. And and so with that, in terms of talking about you and you, your background here personally, you, know, you, you studied sociocultural anthropology and marketing in undergrad. What was it that led you to to studying that and how has that shaped what you've been describing here as your early career? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anthropology and marketing, neither of those things uh, are political science or religion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I went to college not really knowing what I wanted to study. I knew the things that I was passionate about, but I didn't know what that was going to look like in terms of uh, an actual field of study. And I I went to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And one of the things that they uh, have all freshmen do is take a freshman seminar. So this is usually a class of about 10 to 15 people, highly discussion and writing based with a professor around an issue or topic that that professor is passionate about. Usually it ties to an area of the research that don't usually get to teach in class. Um, and, and the class I ended up taking was called Hip Hop in Africa. Mm. Uh, it was a music class. And as I was writing essays in that class and getting feedback from my professor, she said, have you ever considered studying anthropology as a major? And I was like, no, <laughs> never. <laughs> um, I have not considered anthropology. And frankly, I'm not sure I even know fully what anthropology is. And she said that my essays had a very anthropological uh, lens when I was writing and just suggested that I take a class. So the next semester, my second semester in college, I took an anthropology class, and I was hooked. And I had a professor who was really good to about talking about applied anthropology um, and how to actually think about anthropology, not just in the theoretical, but also transferring that lens to practice and to jobs. And I, I found that through all of my classes as I studied anthropology, and I'm really grateful to the program at William and Mary for being able to bridge the theoretical and the practical together. And it was also a program that was really good about critiquing some of the ways in which anthropology has been really harmful, especially when coming from a white Western lens. But sociocultural anthropology studies in general, the diversity of human societies in time and space and looking for commonalities across them. 
And it uses a holistic strategy linking the local and the global and the past and the present to offer various approaches to understanding contemporary challenges. So that's kind of the framework. And I found that that framework has really helped me in my work in terms of the different jobs that I've held since undergrad. I worked for a nonprofit straight out of college um, that worked on a lot of racial reconciliation issues, as well as meeting practical needs of youth in the East End of Richmond. I moved to then work for a social impact consulting firm here in D.C. that worked on a variety of bridge building issues on the right and the left and the faith and the secular. And through all of that, uh, I think anthropology has taught me how to observe and tell the stories of people, systems, and culture to go a little bit deeper and look at the roots of problems and to think about how to link past past knowledge and learnings with present contemporary challenges mm. and to think beyond an American context as well when thinking about uh, the the problems that we have. Right. Yeah. And I know um, with that, like that you talking about the, the past and the present and kind of linking your past and different things you've gone through that you also played a uh, co-founding role in an organization aimed at empowering Black business owners. Can you dive a bit more into that? And what's that been like being involved in something like that to really in your career? Yeah, I got connected uh, during my time at the Clapham Group with a, a Christian rapper and entrepreneur, Derek Miner. Um, and and when I was at Clapham, we helped him uh, launch a legacy organization that he wanted to start called We Are Now. Hmm. And Clapham incubated that organization, and I got to play a founding role in the start of that organization. And even since leaving Clapham, have stayed involved as a founding partner. And we are now works to close the racial wealth gap by uplifting and amplifying stories that promote Black ownership as a lifestyle. So we look at ownership holistically from home ownership to business ownership to um, issues of ownership within the music and the arts industries, um, as well as things like stocks and bonds. Currently, our main initiative and the thing that we started two years ago is leading a cohort of Black Christian influencers through a week-long program in Washington, D.C., where we look at uh, the systemic issues that have led to the racial wealth gap. These influencers learn how to do policy advocacy and then take those skills into meetings with their Senate offices. And then we also do an event in DC during that week that is open to the public where these artists and influencers get to talk about their experiences. And we also get to open up the conversation around the racial wealth gap to a larger audience in DC. It's been really fun getting to bridge the 
policy worlds and the art worlds together Mm -hmm. through that event. Uh, We do, I mean, the event that we do in DC is like part hip hop concert, part conversation about policy. And you don't see those worlds often coming together, but they're worlds uh, that have a lot of overlap and connectivity and art and music is one of the ways that we move cultural mindsets, which then can influence politics and uh, society. I think, you know, something that I don't take lightly is being a white person working um, in an organization for Black empowerment and ownership. But I think I, I often think back to um, Fannie Lou Hamer's quote, uh, nobody's free until everybody's free. Mm. And I think that my life's work feels very anchored in that truth. And that's something that I want to continue to anchor my life in. You know, I believe that our country's continued freedom and democracy are intimately bound to our ability to reconcile our past as a country and then pursue a just and equitable future. And so this is why the work of We Own Now is essential. This is why I myself, as somebody who's part of the majority culture, uh, needs to do my part to advocate for um, and to further ownership in Black communities. So it's something that I feel incredibly passionate about and honored to be able to work so intimately with the other founders. We're a team of five founders um, as part of We Own Now. And yeah, get get to really further black black ownership in the United States. Yeah, that's really awesome to have that kind of. It's like you were describing there, focusing on that intersection of culture and politics, and really doing that kind of empowerment. And yeah, looking to the history there, that's an important area. I feel like kind of giving people an opportunity and an avenue to help make the their own change that they that they need to see uh, in the world through through the politics and through the addressing the issues and finding ways to be going after some of the problems that that people are facing yeah and if i can add there too i think a really cool model a, a historical model of this that i got exposed to a few years ago is through William Wilberforce and the group in Clapham, England that led to the abolition of the slave trade um, in the United Kingdom. And this original Clapham group was made up of academics. It was made up of government officials, members of parliament, Um, It was also made up of pastors, ministers, and poets and authors. And so it was through these strange bedfellows working together in a variety of different sectors, both preaching from the pulpit, writing stories uh, that would be published in the newspaper to change the cultural mindset, and then also advocating for change in politics for the abolition of the slave trade. It, it took all of those people working together from a variety of angles to bring about the change that they were advocating for and that they felt compelled to by their faith. And so that's been a, a cool model for me 
to reflect on in terms of the work that I do? How can we bring together people from a variety of sectors to work towards common good? Um, And most of the time, our work is actually more effective when we have people who are working across lines of difference working together. Yeah, as hard as it seems sometimes, that is often the way that kind of coalition building and and bringing people together is the most effective way to get things done as hard as it is, especially in today's uh, society here where the divides along different things seem to be much bigger and more the focus. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, with that, and having you know shared your your story and about the work you do and kind of your passions, there's something that I ask all of my different guests, which is if there were one thing about either work or life in general or any other area that you want to share with your fellow young adult audience, what would that one thing be? Mm. Yeah, I'm really grateful for this question because it gives me a chance to reflect on my career so far Mm. and lessons learned. Um, I think, you know, all of life is a series of trade-offs. And this is something that I have really come to realize over time that every time I'm saying yes to something, Mm. it means that I'm saying no to something else. And so I think my encouragement to fellow young professionals is to identify your values early and then plan your your schedule and your priorities around those values. Um, I found that for me, there, there is a seasonality in terms of things that I'm leaning into, but there are also core values that never change. I know that my family is incredibly important to me. I know that my core community and investing in friendships is really important to me. I know that rest and getting to spend time alone and um, in reflection and in silence is really important to me. And so those are things that I need to and want to prioritize um, and identifying different values is a good gauge for me in terms of what should I be saying yes to and what should I be saying no to and then realizing that I can't do it all. And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I find myself now in a season where work is a very high priority for me because I'm part of a young new nonprofit where work does take a lot of my time, but that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make because it's something that I so intensely care about. But when I look back at the first few years out of college, I honestly wish I hadn't worked so hard and been Mm -hmm. quite so stressed as I was. Um, Right now feels like the season for working long and hard, but I I don't feel like my early 20s, um, I correctly prioritized. Um, and so that's something that I have learned now. And that's kind of my encouragement to other, other young people. Identify your values, plan your life around those values. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a good lesson, I guess, no matter where you are in life. But yeah, especially early here, that's that's an important thing. I'll have to think on that myself in regards to how have I done that here early in my career. So 
yeah, important to uh, plan, prioritize, all that. And based on who you are rather than what other people may be telling you is the important thing. Yeah. Well, that's about what I've got for you here. But how can people best connect with you if they'd like to learn more? Yeah. Um, One of the best ways to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn is literally linkedin.com backslash Ian backslash my name, Phoebe Dash Meyer. And would love to connect with people on LinkedIn and then, you know, have a conversation from there. I'm also on threads and Twitter at the Feebster. Um, and so that's my social handle in both of those places, which is where you can find out a lot more about my current work with the Center for Christianity and Public Life as long as well as uh, just just random musings and life things. So yeah, I look forward to, to connecting with some people in this audience. Gotcha. And as always, I'll have all of those links to your your social media your linkedin all that down in the show notes Uh, but yeah that's you know thanks for definitely taking the time to share your story sort of sharing your insights early in your career here and for taking the time to come on the show yeah thank you adam i'm really grateful uh, to be able to talk with you today hey everyone thanks for tuning in to today's show Hopefully you learned something new about the work happening in the nonprofit sector and were inspired to get involved. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening from. If you want to learn more about today's guest, how you can contact them and explore the organization they work for, check out the show notes. That'll do it for this episode. Come back next time to hear from yet another aspiring author.